So we continue this morning, as we have been for the last several weeks, in our series about being born again. What does it mean to be born again? What is the new birth all about? And I've talked with a few of you, and would like to talk to more of you, about thoughts and questions that you've had from some of these passages that we've looked at. Folks have responded to the study of this topic in a variety of ways, which is to be expected. On one end, some might even find spending time on this topic irrelevant, even a waste of time. Why would we spend so much time talking about being born again and and asking if you had, of course I'm born again. Silly question. Very, very confident some folks might be in the fact that they are born again. Others, not so confident, questioning, maybe even confused about about what it means. And more importantly, asking the question, have I been born again? So some folks are, are lacking confidence. And that's part of the reason that I wanted to spend time on this particular topic. Because I'm convinced that there's a whole continuum out there. And on that continuum are are some folks who are really, really confident that shouldn't be. And there are some folks who are lacking confidence. And they need to be confident. Folks that are confident and might not should be so confident, that's because their confidence isn't based in what the Bible says you should base your confidence on. And so I want those folks to become less confident in anything that is not in accord with Scripture. And I definitely want the folks who are lacking confidence, who are confused, maybe even despairing, I definitely want those folks to have great confidence based on the truths of Scripture. So we've got two more sermons, I think, to finish out this series. They're both going to come from 1 John. And 1 John is such a great, great book about confidence, about knowing that you know, about being assured. And John's writing specifically addresses both of those groups that I've mentioned. Folks who are confident when perhaps they ought not be. And folks who are lacking confidence and confused and despairing. He addresses both. So I want to give you the context of what's going on that prompted John to write this letter. Before I read our passage, because I think it will be helpful to set the stage. See, there were some false teachers in the churches that John was writing to. They were leading folks astray, and we can deduce from what John writes what it is that they were teaching. Apparently, they were teaching that you could be a Christian, that you could be a follower of Christ, a believer in Christ, without paying any concern or attention to your behavior. That sin, in fact, didn't even matter. 
as long as you had the right knowledge in your head, it didn't matter what you did with the rest of your body. And this was causing, as you can imagine, a lot of confusion. And it resulted in a lack of confidence in some and a false confidence in others. And that's what John's addressing. And it is directly related to whether or not you've been born again. So with that context, I'd like to ask you to stand if you're able for the reading of God's Word. It's 1 John beginning at the end of chapter 2 there in verse 28 going through 1 John 3 verse 10. And now little children, abide in Him so that when He appears we may have confidence and not shrink from Him in shame at His coming. If you know that He is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of Him. See what kind of love the Father has given to us? That we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who thus hopes in Him purifies himself as He is pure. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that He appeared in order to take away sins, and in Him there is no sin. No one who abides in Him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen Him or known Him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, as He is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God. And who are the children of the devil? Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. Nor is the one who does not love his brother. God's inspired, inerrant, infallible, and authoritative word. Let's pray together. Oh God, would you come once again and assist us in our weakness Provide for us in our need. Holy Spirit, grant understanding. Open eyes and unstop ears. And in doing so, grant confidence where confidence is warranted. And strip away confidence if it is not based upon the truths of Scripture. Do so by the grace and goodness of God. We pray and ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. So how confident are you? 
How confident are you about the last day? Ask yourself right now. Take a few moments. Do a little confidence inventory. How confident are you? We got to ask the question because Jesus is coming back. And when he comes back, will you be like the hymn writer? And we sing this song from time to time. Bold I approach the eternal throne to claim the crown through Christ my own. Will that be you? Or will it be more like Adam and Eve in the garden? Wanting to run and hide and clothe your nakedness. Those are the only two options. You see in verse 28, there's an option A and there's an option B. There is either confidence or there is shrinking away in shame, cowering in fear. Obviously, only one of these two is desirable. John wants you to have confidence. John Mark wants you to have confidence. That's part of why we're doing this whole thing. Confidence comes to those who have been born again. And so the $64,000 question is, How do I know? How do I know? Verse 29. If you know that He's righteous. If you know your Savior, if you know that He was righteous in your place. And then if you practice righteousness if you practice righteousness you've been born again now we've got a bit of a cart and a horse thing here and we need to get this straight from the beginning so check out that graphic isn't that pretty awesome that's why y'all keep coming back isn't it it's because of the graphics i know So there's a horse and there's a cart. And I've not had much experience on the farm, but even I know that the horse has to go in front of the cart and not behind it. The horse is the new birth. The horse is is being born again. The cart is the practice of righteousness. And this horse must always be in front of this cart. So just to review quickly, in case you haven't been here, what does it mean to be born again? What what is this deal about being born again in the new birth? It's that when we were dead in transgressions and sins, when we were held captive, when we were blinded, when we were deceived, when we were those dry and picked clean bones, unattached from each other, baking in the sun. 
God intervened. But God, because of His mercy, because of the love with which He loved us, by His powerful Spirit, through His powerful Word, made us alive together with Christ. He caused us to be born again. He removed the heart of stone, replaced it with a heart of flesh, placed His Spirit inside of us, caused us to be born both of water cleansing us, purifying us, and of the Spirit, enabling this new obedience, enabling the cart that the horse is pulling, enabling the practice of righteousness, this new Spirit-enabled obedience. There's a horse and there's a cart. The practice of righteousness is not cause or condition of the new birth. The practice of righteousness is not cause or condition of the new birth. In fact, the new birth is the cause of the practice of righteousness. The practice of righteousness is the evidence. It's the proof that the new birth has in fact occurred. Keep that horse in front of that cart. The next thing we've got to understand is is the process. Part of the despair, part of the lack of confidence that John is writing to address, that he's writing to correct, comes from not understanding the process of Christian growth. See, when you, when you think, when you're pretty sure that you've, that you've been born again, but then you keep struggling with sin. Or, when you think, you're, you're pretty sure that you've been born again, but all these people around you keep rejecting you and, and cutting you off and thinking you've lost your mind. John's writing to born-again folk. Look at verse 1. He's writing to folks who have become the children of God. See, once again, children result from births. If there is a new birth then the end result of that is a child. A child of of God. And just, John even has to pause for a moment and just praise for a minute and just wonder, children of God, what love is that that would take an enemy and a rebel and make a child? So he pauses just a moment in the middle of trying to argue why there should be confidence and why there shouldn't be confidence, and just to wonder, oh, the love of God, that we should be called His children. What an amazing demonstration of His love. But being born again ain't easy in a world full of people who are not born again. When you then seek to practice righteousness... 
and friends and family think you're nuts and you're uptight and why are you so hung up on all that? And see, this is what the false teachers were capitalizing on. You don't have to worry about that stuff. It's not doing anything good for your social life. It's not doing anything good in your family. They're all turning on you. You don't have to worry about that. It's not important, they said. And so right off the bat, John says, don't let that get you down. Don't let that be a part of your lack of confidence. There's a reason they don't understand. There's a reason they don't know you and what you're doing, and it's because they don't know him, though they claim to. They don't know him. They haven't been born again. And then John goes on to describe the process. Right? If if I've been born again, why do I struggle with sin so much? Why is progress so slow? So look at verse 2. He explains this process. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared but we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him. Because we'll, so here's, John, here's John's explaining it. We're better than we were because we're children now. We're no longer enemies. We're better than we were, but we're not as good as we will be one day. We won't be like Him until the very end. Then the struggle with sin will be over. Y'all, and note what makes the difference. What is it that's going to make the struggle with sin over? What is it that's going to cause us to be like Him? How does it happen? When we see Him. In that moment, at His final appearing, when we see Him as He is, Y'all, how powerful must the sight of the crucified and risen and glorified and ascended Lord be that just the sight of Him fixes everything about us? So we're better off than we were. We're not as good as we will be. Now look at verse 3. Part of this process, how does the progress take place? How do we progress toward that end? Everyone who thus hopes in Him. Everyone who's hoping in His final appearing that will be the corrective that we need. Everyone who's hoping in that purifies himself as he is pure. The very act of hoping in that last day when it will all be made right is itself a purifying force. Eagerly longing for and expecting him is the very thing that helps get us there. See, the hope of being like him in the future fuels the effort 
to attempt to be like him in the present. That, friends, is a beautiful picture of gospel transformation. Not by our willpower, not by our striving and our efforts, not by trying to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps, but by hoping in Christ. In hoping in seeing Him at the last day. We're purified. We progress toward the end. So that's the process. Now, what's the problem with this false teaching? What's the problem with my iPad that keeps going black? Y'all, if I don't preach from my notes, we'll be here for like an hour and a half. The, the problem with the false teaching. John is going to explain this thing several different ways to try to make his point. And the crux of the argument is in verse 6. In the ESV, it simply says, no one who abides keeps on sinning. Okay? But I know that many of you have the New American Standard or you have the King James. You may have a translation in your hands that says, no one who abides sins that just says point blank, if you abide in Christ, you do not sin. And if we take that at face value, then I know some folks who are in big trouble. And I'm at the top of that list. If you abide, you, you no longer sin, ever? What? Oh man, I'm in a world of hurt. But fortunately, we know that 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 just doesn't jive with the rest of Scripture. It doesn't even jive with the rest of what John has written in this letter. Because earlier, chapter 1, verse 8, he's already said, if you claim to be without sin, you're a liar. And then at the beginning of chapter 2, verse 1, he says, if we do sin, we have an advocate. In the Lord Jesus. So I don't think that John is expecting us to think that, well, if we abide in Christ, we can never sin or ever will sin again. The, the key here is really to look at, at the tense of this verb, to look at the, the type of verb that sin is here. And in the original language, you could tell so much more just by looking at the word itself without its context, what was going on with the, the timeliness of that verb. The sin that John is using here is a <clears throat> present participle. Think back to ninth grade English, if you can. The important part about that is that it represents ongoing, continuous, repeated action. That's, that's the verb that John's using when he says, no one who abides sins. And, and so... I think that the ESV does well here when it says no one who abides 
keeps on sinning. No one who abides continues in a settled, repeated, ongoing pattern of sin. Now, why does John make this assertion? Why does John say, no one who abides keeps on sinning? I think there are three reasons that we can glean from this. And they're, they're in that outline there in the worship folder to help you keep up with this. The number one reason is that continuing in sin is incompatible with Christ's appearing. Christ's appearing is mentioned twice in this passage, verses 5 and 8. And when His appearing is mentioned, the reason for His appearing is listed. Verse 5, you know that He appeared in order to take away sins, and in Him was no sin. So it's incompatible to think that you could be in Christ, to call yourself a believer in Christ, to think maybe even that you've been born again, and to continue in the very thing that He came to take away. To continue in the very thing that in Him there was none of. That's incompatible. Verse 8. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. So if you claim to be in Christ, but you continue in the very thing that He came to destroy... That's incompatible. So number one, it's incompatible with Christ appearing. Number two, it's incompatible with your parentage. That's kind of the best word I can come up with. It's incompatible with who your daddy is. Might be better. Verse 8, again. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. That would mean that you belong to him. That he's your daddy. That you've been born of him. Verse 10 makes it even more explicit. By this, it is evident. It is obvious who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. If you don't practice righteousness, God's not your daddy. If you continue in sin, the devil is. See, it's evident who your daddy is because you resemble your daddy. You grow up and you look like him. You go bald in the same spot that he did. You resemble him. So if you don't practice righteousness... You're not born of God. Again, you've got to remember the cart and the horse here. You've got to remember the order of this. Don't get confused. He doesn't become your daddy if you practice righteousness. He becomes your Father enabling you to practice righteousness. And that is a huge difference. That's the wedge 
that separates gospel Christianity from every false religion in the world. The third reason that Paul, that Paul, John makes this assertion that you can't abide and continue in your sin. The third reason is that it's impossible. It's impossible. Look at verse 9. See, it's not just an incompatibility. It's actually an impossibility. It's an impossibility. Verse 9. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. So there it is phrased a little differently. No one makes a practice of sinning for God's seed abides in him. And he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. So it's God's seed that makes the difference. Literally, that that word is sperma. Right? So it's this very beginning point of life. The very beginning point of your new life, of the new birth. And how did that happen? What must this seed be? And all the commentators weigh in. And and half of them say, oh, the seed is the Holy Spirit. And the other half weigh in and say, oh, the seed is God's Word. And I say, yes, it's both. Why not? From the passages we've already looked at, can you not see that? From Ezekiel 36 that I've already mentioned earlier, pulls out the heart of stone, replaces it with a heart of flesh, and puts His Spirit inside of you. And then we looked at 1 Peter 1. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding Word of God. The Spirit of God, through the Word of God, brings about this new birth and this seed abides. It remains in the one who's been born again. And this powerful abiding makes continuing in sin impossible. The Spirit won't allow it to happen. We'll be miserable if we try. We won't be able to sleep at night. We'll toss and we'll turn. We'll be grieved at how we're grieving the Father. We won't be able to stand it. God will bring about His discipline to make doubly sure that we won't be able to stand it. And so with these three incompatibilities and impossibilities in mind, let's go back to verse 6 and 7 and let me give to you a warning via John. Remember the crux of the argument. No one who abides keeps on sinning. Because if you do, you haven't seen Him or known Him. You know, I talk with a lot of folks about 
Jesus and about the church and about what it means to be a Christian. And there are tons of folks out there, especially in the South, who would claim to have seen Him, so to speak, who would claim to know Him, who would say, oh yes, I'm a Christian. Oh yes, I believe in Jesus. And yet don't have anything to do with a righteous life whatsoever. Who don't have anything to do with engaging Christ's body, the church. They believe that just saying, I believe in Jesus is enough but they do not practice righteousness. Now remember, practicing righteousness doesn't cause anything. Practicing righteousness is just the proof that, hey, something's happened to you. You've been born again. God's Spirit is inside of you now. And there's this unquenchable power at work inside of you now that's causing you and enabling you to practice righteousness. So when you talk to folks who say, oh yes, I believe in Jesus, I'm a Christian, and yet there is no practice of righteousness in their life, there is no proof, there is no evidence, there should be no confidence. Probably the very best example of this in our day and in our culture is sexual sin. Cohabitation, sex outside of marriage. Even among those who would claim to be born-again Christians, it's out of control. Well, that, 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 prohibi- is, that prohibition is just, it's just old-fashioned. It's not up with the times. Yeah, the Bible may say that, but I'm going to do what I want. God will forgive me. And it doesn't have to just be that area. Although I do think in our day, that is the area where Satan is attacking. But it could be any type of sin. Any willful, habitual sin that becomes the pattern of your life. Asterisk here. Star this in your notes here. What I'm talking about is different from your daily ongoing struggle with sin. We all sin. Every single day we blow it. And some of us struggle with besetting sins that we just can't experience victory over or progress in, and it's tough. Many people will battle those sins their entire lives, but the key there is the battle, battle, struggle. They hate their sin. They wish it were gone. They're begging God for help. They're begging God to remove it. And that is different from simply saying, "Eh, I don't care. That's different from saying, 
well, I know that technically that's wrong, but I'm going to do it anyway. Friends, those two things are very different. Friend, if there's a pattern of sin in your life that you don't struggle with, that you don't battle, that you don't hate, that you aren't begging God to remove, then you have not been born of God. You have not. You've neither seen Him nor known Him And so I would join with John in verse 7 of chapter 3 and say, little children, don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. And so let me circle back around to where we began with this question of are you confident? Because some of you might be confident and you should not be. If you claim to be a born-again Christian, but you've got a pattern of ongoing unrepentant sin, sin that you don't hate, sin that you don't battle, you need not be confident. And it would be foolish for those of us around you to allow you to go on in false confidence. It would be foolish. It would be unloving. But friend, if you lack confidence this morning, if you lack confidence because you keep struggling with sin, because you keep seeking to turn from it and then you find yourself doing the very thing that you don't want to do, that almost sounds like Scripture. That almost sounds like something that someone in Romans 7 said. Friend, don't think that a struggle with sin means you're not born again. Friend, take heart. If you hate your sin and are battling against it, your hatred of sin is the Spirit's work. It's proof. It's evidence. And so I'd simply urge you this morning to do the very thing that John starts with in this paragraph in verse 28 of chapter 2. Abide. Abide, abide in Him with everything that you have, with everything that you can muster, with all the grace that God gives to you in the struggle. Seek to abide. Continue to hope in the one day that your struggle will be over. Continue to hope in the one day that you're going to see Him in all of His crucified and resurrected and ascended glory And the struggle will be over. Continue in that hope, the very hope which purifies your soul, the very hope which should give you confidence. Let's pray. Oh, Father, I just repeat my prayer from before. Would you strip away by your grace every confidence that ought not be, And would you reinforce and buttress and uphold and strengthen every confidence of the born-again child who struggles with sin? Would you fuel the hope of that one glorious day when we will see Him as He is and we will be made like Him?
Do this work, we pray in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen.